We are not up to that bit. Stop segueing. Look, right, we read down... So there's this list, and we read down the list in order until we get to the end, and that's how we do... We should just choose your own adventure. If you would like to talk about Joff next, please skip three paragraphs in the show notes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very 31st episode of the Octothorpe podcast. This episode is going out on the 13th of May 2021. I'm John Coxon. I'm Alison Scott. And I'm Liz Batty. And today we have some letters of comment from our listeners. Uh, so firstly, Phil Dyson says that the typical Eastercon tech budget will only buy 40 to 50 Oculus Quest 2 headsets. And therefore... Um, I assume what he's suggesting is that we have some sort of sharing arrangement where only 40 or 50 people are allowed to move around the Eastcon space at a time, which, you know, could work. Could be the good ones. Could be the interesting people. (laughs) (laughs) But that's fine. In year one, we have 40 to 50 people. In year two, we buy another 40 to 50 Oculus Quest headsets. And by like year five, we've got quite a lot of Eastercon going. I mean, even by year five, you've still only got 250, right? That's not... Eh, they're going to get cheaper. Well, you could do a bit of bring your own device, really. Because who would want an Oculus Quest headset that had been passed around the average Eastercon? I mean, I'm sure that I'm sure that in our um, world of coronavirus uh, and the associated trauma, people will be very happy to glue things to their face shortly after they have been on someone else's face. God, that sounds weird. Uh, but yes, no, good point. No, but I think um, it is safe to say that we are not seriously advocating for the purchase of oculus quests for everyone um unless an eastercon chair wins the lottery how however i've just realized that there's a whole market for alien facehuggers skins for oculus quest and other vr sets mm, make your technology look more fleshy <laughs> make your technology look more like you've got something hideous stuck to your face right speaking of something hideous stuck to your face we had a lot from chris garcia <laughs> now that is quite the segue that's quite the segue it's okay though he won't mind i promise he won't mind i'm fairly promise he won't mind he says a lot of good things but the one that stands out to me is uh he asks robin hobb is a jigsaw fan weird i don't think she'd be a saw enthusiast and that leads me neatly on to i'm so excited that spirals is out with samuel L. jackson and chris rock i can't wait i might actually go and see it in the cinema if i get my jabs and it's still in the cinema by then oh boy oh boy oh boy i love the saw movies uh i don't know what the rest of the podcast's opinion on the saw movies is are they are they horror yeah 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 then then no fair enough and there are eight of them then eight eight times no 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 excellent stuff octano farah also wrote to us to say that Eterbium radically simplified its bursary distribution in october 2018 um so uh the things we said about that uh, they did eventually change it and she also says uh that she would have had a lot better a time at confusion if they'd had an faq sheet with fun things you can look for in gather town the sort of thing that museums give kids and um those who went to allison's excellent folly con will remember that they did i spy at the easter con folly con did i spy at the easter con as a promotion for folly con because we were a bit at the time at innominate which was at the hilton metro bowl in 2017 and then we did it again at folly con and 
I think I have committed to doing one for reclamation and you could easily adapt this for virtual. Though I think if you adapted it for virtual, you'd probably want to engage with the committee to find out what they were going to be doing so that you could put it in your put it in your thing. But it, it, the idea of I spy for people who are not familiar with English um, traditions is that you give a small child a book um, before you go on a journey or some other boring activity with a long list of things that they can spot on a subject and once they've spotted a sufficient number of them they trade it in for it was like membership of the big chief ice spy tribe but I don't think we do any of that sort of thing anymore so for the Eastercons we've traded them in for a badge and uh, that was be what I would do again and it, it was pretty good people like it, kids like it, um, newbies like it um, lots of people who are neither kids or new newbies but like collecting things like it so you know it's pretty good we'll do it again um, but you definitely want to do it at virtual con so I guess we should probably have I spy at punctuation and I think I may have given myself an action oh dear so yes I spy the badge and ribbon works perfectly well because um, as anyone who's seen at world con small children with enormous ribbon collections will know they really like collecting ribbons and some adults also have enormous ribbon collections and really like collecting uh, ribbons I also thought I would just draw out Farah's point from her letter that uh, the extra money they had from the uh, Iterbium bursaries, they spent on additional access support, including paying for all of the scooters, which I think is actually uh, a good place that Easter cons with surplus money can put their money because they do tend to be quite expensive. And for a lot of people, it's um, it's basically an extra cost that falls on those with access needs that we can do something about. Now you may segue. No, it makes sense. Um so Roman Orzanski emailed us about Octothorpe 28 and we unfortunately missed it last episode but we're going to read it this episode um, which is that he writes to us about a really contentious issue. Yeah, he writes to us about the Ditmar Award for Best Fanish Cat and he um, and he alleges that a cat that is not badger is the best fanish cat and all i can say is that if um the owner of said cat wants to donate 70 quid to the league of fan funds to have us change our minds then we are happy to be bought um but for now our allegiances must and will always remain with badger until um our financial um pickles are tickled yeah we, we do accept sponsorship though not so much sponsorship we will become a professional publication Oh no, we we don't get any of the money. The fan funds, the fan funds get all the money, and we get nothing. Yeah, I feel like we should offer regular sponsorship as well. You know, you know. Let's be clear here. Um, but only for cats. Yeah. But yes, thank you very much, Roman. I I did not know. We will put a link in the show notes to the file seven seventy article on the best fanish cat. And thank you very much to Roman uh, for bringing us to for bringing that to our attention. Roman speculates that Badger is not so far won an award for best British Fanish cat. And now I'm wondering, is there an award for best British Fanish cat? Do we want to speculate on no. who would be on the shortlist for best British Fanish cat? Bearing in mind that there are, I, I would guess, semi-official Octothorpe host cats. So I think what we really need to do is we need to launch a campaign for the BSFA to introduce a new BSFA award for Best Spanish Cat. I'm sure this will go well. Um, but if the Ditmars can have brilliant awards, why can't the Eastercon? That sounded like I was casting more shade on the BSFA than I intended to. 
announcing the Octos, the official Octothorpe Awards. There is only one category, which is Best Fanish Cat. (laughs) Best British Fanish Cat, obviously. Anyway, yes, let's do Octothorpe Awards because the BSFA probably won't do a Best Cat. I I think the problem I would have with a Best Fanish Cat Award is unless I could vote for all of the cats, it would be really difficult. I mean, imagine having to like rank cats in rank order. Yeah, no, that is true. That's fair. So ranking is ranking cats more or less difficult than herding cats? Yes. <laughs> um, Mark Plummer writes an excellent letter of comment in the vein of his previous letter of comment. <clears throat> Claire and I were playing Arkham Horror the other day. It was my turn. Have you got Mrs. Cthulhu, the great old one's wife? This game is very gendered, said Claire. What with the way all the female characters are described by reference to their relationship to male characters, surely it should be Ms. Cthulhu, the great old one in her own right. Hey, I'm just following the rules on the box. It's not as if, canonically, Cthulhu even has a wife, and is he even a he? Well, the Cthulhus do seem to be a family of sorts. Nuktosa and Nuktkolhu are twin daughters of Cthulhu. Cthaga is a half-sister, and Yogg-Sothoth and Shubnigarath are grandparents. Nug, however, was merely described as a parent of Cthulhu, and Cthulhu was spawned by Parthenogenesis. You're just reading the Wikipedia page now, aren't you? No, no, it's all here on the box. Anyway, have you? No, my turn. Have you got Mrs. Ferdinand C. Ashley, the Miskatonic University professor's wife? Mark. It's very good. I liked it a lot. Mark sent it to us during the last live recording, and I giggled on air. Um, But I will say... One of the things I do adore about the Arkham Horror card game is that it does roughly have gender parity in its playable characters. And so um, it is less representative of the Cthulhu mythos in terms of gender and ethnic representation than... Well, it's just good. They've done good things in that regard. Uh, So, you know, hurrah, women and stuff. So you're saying that it's less gendered than happy families? I appreciate that's a low bar. Just checking. What I like from Mark's letter is that I'm not sure, apart from the name Thulu, Yogg-Sothoth and Shubnigarath, which I recognise, I'm not sure which of the other ones he has actually read off Wikipedia and which ones are completely made up. Oh, I assume it's all 100% true, uh, which one day Mark will use to his advantage to get me to do something unspeakable owing to my own gullibility. I mean, I was going to say that I didn't think you'd practised all the words before reading out the lock. Um, and I had practiced Mark's one last time and I still made mistakes because I have great difficulty pronouncing the names of old ones, which causes me a real problem in my summoning circles. Let me sell you. (laughs) Nuktosa and Nuktulhu are hard words to say, which is because they're old itch monstrosities that man was not meant to pronounce. So we've got a knock. Um, Now, so Jonathan Jonathan Cowie writes to us and says that he's not really written a lock. He's more written he's more written a comment. But because he wrote the comment in a letter, I would argue it is still a lock. So thank you very much, Jonathan, for your lock. I think Jonathan might be one of these letter purists who believes that it's unless it's attached to the email, it's not a letter, or possibly unless it's put in an envelope and put in a in the post with a stamp on it, it's not a letter. But um, I think that's wrong. I think it's a, a letter of comment, even if he doesn't think so. Well, that's not going to get as furious uh, letters and notes of comments from our audience, is it? 
to be fair because jonathan starts with this is not really a lock but it's more a knock or just a c because c is a single letter therefore if it is a c it becomes a letter of comment by virtue of being only one letter and so we're right back to locks but from the opposite meaning Anyway, the substance of Jonathan's note of comment is to say that we were a little bit hard on Kevin Stanley and we might have been. Kevin um, is saying that, you know, this is a constitutional requirement and therefore he has a good point. Now, I have two reactions to this. Firstly, that is very true. Um, It is a constitutional requirement. It is right for Kevin to point out. I think part of our reaction was based on the fact that Kevin did point out that this was a constitutional requirement and everyone did say they're there, Kevin. No one, like no action was taken as a result of this being pointed out. It's not that Kevin isn't right, although I think Kevin was right to point out. I don't think we were unfair in how we covered it. Jonathan points out that Discon says that they allow Winnipeg to appear on the site selection ballot using their discretion, and he argues, as did Dave Langford and as Ansible, that what they mean is that they're following the rules. Um, but it does reveal that there is a, another bid for 2023, which is Winnipeg. Um, Winnipeg is a place in Canada, uh, and it is neither Memphis nor Chengdu. So how do we feel about Winnipeg, peeps? Yeah, I think it's a bit difficult because it, it's it's obvious that what we were all taking as a sort of hypothetical argument with you no know, actual ramifications, um, you know, was was not as Jonathan puts it, constitutional pedantry, but one with practical implications, which we didn't know two weeks ago when we were recording this, um, and so that's how we treated it. And now there is an extra bid, and it it seems like it's worked out in the best possible way which is there is another bid and it has been allowed to be on the ballot with the other two bids on the basis that it has been filed within what the constitution would consider to be the 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 filing date and so that's all all fine as to the bid itself i think it's unusual to have a bid sort of emerge this close to the convention and i'm I'm not sure if there's any backstory as to why it has emerged sort of this close to the time i mean it looks like a reasonable bid, but I haven't, I don't know, I don't have a lot to say. I haven't looked at it in, in huge detail. It looks like a bunch of people who've run some conventions before are going to run one in Winnipeg. Winnipeg uh, looks fine. I think there's like definitely sort of a a minimum standard of Worldcom bid. And it seems to meet that by having like a venue and some hotels and a plan and a committee. I mean, I think one of the things about the filing requirements for a Worldcon is that they are designed to ensure that a Worldcon meets a minimum standard bid. And I think this does meet a minimum standard. Um, I think there was a lot of pressure for a Worldcon bid that was not either Memphis or Chengdu. And I think that this bid has appeared in response to that pressure. Um, I don't think it's, it doesn't feel like the best of all possible bids. Um, but I think you can, you can see that there are a lot of people out there going, I don't want to go to Chengdu either for good or bad. I mean, I think there are a lot of reasons why people don't want to go, don't want the World Con going to Chengdu. And some of those reasons have some foundation and some of those reasons have less foundation but there was certainly a lot of pressure for a bid that wasn't Chengdu and I think that the Memphis bid has just not been good enough it's not been acting like it was 
contesting a bid that it might lose and so therefore needed to get the word out about what was good and special about it. Um, I think I've talked before on this podcast quite a lot about conventions needing to have a reasonably good social media game and needing to talk about what they are doing and why and and what the especially bids, but conventions generally, why why you should come to this convention. Um, And I just don't think Memphis has done that. And so Winnipeg's seen a gap and filled it. No, and I agree. And I think I think one of the huge symptoms of that is that I can't tell you what the Memphis logo looks like. It's Elvis as an alien. It's actually one of the better logos for Worldcons. I can't tell you what the Memphis logo looks like. I can't tell you who's on the committee. I can't tell you any of these things. And I think that is symptomatic of a bid that is not doing enough to put itself in front of me and say, look, we're a thing that you need to be thinking about voting for. And as someone who is a supporting member of the Worldcon, um, like it surprised me that that's the case with every previous Worldcon bid, like the Tricon bid and the um, uh, New Zealand bid and the DC bid. I've I've been able to conjure up like imagery and associated feelings with each of those bits. Memphis, I have no connection to at all. Um, so I think I think that does speak a lot to how badly they've been doing at um, kind of putting themselves out there and in front of people who might vote. And I think this this uh, Winnipeg bid is a reaction to that. Um, and I think we had a little bit of this uh, with confusion. I think um, I, I want to speak a little bit on that, which is that I think Memphis did have somebody at confusion, um, but because that meant that they were in the dealer's room and that wasn't, a, if you weren't in the dealer's room in Gather, you wouldn't see the fan tables. Um, it meant that it was much harder for individuals representing things to make their presence felt at confusion than it would have been at a physical Eastercon. So I don't think that's entirely Memphis's fault. They did come and represent the bid at Eastercon, I think, in the form of Adam Beaton, I think. But like, I'm sure I saw stuff from DC and Con Zealand and Tricon on on like social media and stuff. <laughs> like, maybe I'm misremembering. Maybe I'm underestimating how much of it I did see at physical conventions, and maybe the lack of physical conventions for Memphis to advertise at is a kind of mostly what's happening here. Maybe Memphis's social media game is not super strong. I have been to a couple of Memphis parties at World Cons and other cons, which I have enjoyed. So they definitely like had some ground game. But yeah, I think maybe they just don't have, they don't do a lot of, Memphis maybe just don't do a lot of tweeting. They don't do a lot to try to kind of get things out there. I mean, I think if you compare them to like, uh, the one I think which is going incredibly strongly, um, and I realise Alison is involved in this, but I think Glasgow in 2024, you can see them putting themselves out there at conventions. They run, they've been running virtual events. They've been, you know, they have some incredibly strong artwork as well to use to promote themselves. I think that that kind of thing is really just plants yourselves in people's memories in a way that, to be honest, Memphis has failed to do. Um, I'm going to give them a bit of a pass because... Um, you know, it has been a hard year and everyone um, has different abilities to do things during the past year. But I, I think they're also kind of ending up being the sort of the um, people are not so much voting for Memphis in all cases as voting for not Chengdu. And I think that does end up hurting them because it ends up that all the discussion ends up being about Chengdu and like why people think there should be a Worldcon in Chengdu and also the many people who think we shouldn't have a Worldcon in Chengdu rather than ending up discussing whether we actually think Memphis would be a better bid. I will say that the, the one thing about Winnipeg is they do have a big committee, but they actually 
they don't have a full kind of code of conduct and things on their website yet. And I think even if you are doing a very speedy bid, it's good to get up and running with a code of conduct there from the start. Yeah, they, they they literally have the stuff you have to file and nothing else. And I'm going to give them a pass for the moment, but they need to get that sorted. I guess they have a lot longer now to ramp up because I keep forgetting that they do not have until August to ramp up. They now have until December. They do also have a page on their website that outlines their commitment to diversity in the code of conduct, gives an example code of conduct that they might base their code of conduct on and says that they're working on it with a specific person who is in charge of that effort. So I don't think it's that they haven't thought about it. I will say Winnipeg is chaired by Terry Fong, and if that name sounds familiar to you, Terry was the co-chair of the Montreal 2017 bid. And I will note that I can't, I can't check whether I'm friends with the people on the Memphis in 23 committee, because as far as I can tell, their website doesn't have the committee on it. I had a very smoffy conversation a few days ago where we were talking about the Wellcome bids. So, so one of the smoffy people said maybe the chairs or maybe some of the other people involved in Memphis were concerned about having full lists of staff online because they had experienced harassment online in the past and felt that having their staff listed on the website made harassment of that kind easier. And I have quite a lot of sympathy with that. We have we have quite a few conrunners in Britain who have been while running conventions and have decided not to do it again as a a result. But I think if you're not going to have your full staff online, I think you probably need to have something saying why you haven't put your full staff online. There's a huge difference between having a committee page that says, here is the chair, we have decided not to list the rest of our committee because we are concerned about harassment. And and then I would have read that and been like, oh, that's a really good point. And like, they've thought about it. And it's not just that they haven't done it. But because they haven't got that page, it just looks like they're not doing a very good job. And that is tough because it might not be the case. But like, I keep going back to this. People don't know how to communicate. Like, just think about the messages you're sending. And like, just if you if there is a reason you've done a thing, tell people the reason that you've done the thing and explain what the thing was. It's that easy. Like, people usually want to understand where you are coming from, especially if you're running an event as part of a community like in the UK. So if you're having trouble with your social media talk about it if you're having trouble um like listing your committee because you've got concerns about harassment talk about it talk about these things with the people in your community and then the community will be there for you and we'll be having these discussions don't don't shunt it all to back chat and like have it all like be gossip that doesn't help anyone i know i'm i know i'm silly and like not thinking through the ramifications but it just it frustrates me because yeah it's not i'm i'm looking forward to seeing all three of the bids ramp up as we come to the vote um i was just going to say two things one is that as you mentioned some of the bid committee for winnipeg in 23 were also part of the committee bidding for montreal in 2017 so they're, they're clearly used to being basically the third bid come into a into a contested field. So it's not a new uh, situation for them. So hopefully they did take something from what I think was quite an unfortunate situation in 2017, where you did sort of have this thing where it was almost like the US versus Europe. Are we going to have this big chunk of European world cons in a row? And people were very unsure about that. And then we ended up basically with a sort of two horse race. And I think Montreal and Japan are distant third and fourth. Um, but it's clearly like experience they have and so they'll now be I'm sure thinking about how to up their game 
for this next bit. I was also going to say I quite like their sort of retro spacey logo. I really like I really like the Winnipeg. I really like the Winnipeg logo. I think it's really cool. Um and uh yeah, the the website has an awful lot more on it than the Memphis website, which is quite impressive given that Winnipeg um arose in the last 2 weeks and Memphis has had years uh to get their stuff together. There's also one next thing I wanted to say which is I looked through the um I looked through all their bid documents and I have never been to Canada, but the Winnipeg tourism documents they have are just like so enthusiastic about, please come to Winnipeg, which is essentially this place in Canada that is probably like fifth or sixth on your list of places in Canada you might ever think of going to. Um, <laughs> way, way, way lower than that. <laughs> way, way. I'm, 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 being, I'm being very nice. Um, and it just, just feeling it's nice. Well, so, so um, Kevin... Kevin said there's an interesting there's an interesting blog post I think it's on a blog that Kevin Stanley wrote so maybe it's on his dream with um I will try and find it to put it in the show notes listeners um but they basically wrote a thing which says you can't when you're planning a Canadian Worldcon and you know that Seattle are bidding for the Worldcon two years after there are rules in the Mm. constitution which mean that you can't bid a city if it's within a certain distance of the of the host Worldcon at which site selection will occur and so they couldn't for instance pick Vancouver because that would have meant Seattle had to fold and so this was a very careful balancing act of not wanting to automatically lose the Pacific Northwest fandom entirely and so I think I think there are considerations here along those lines i do not personally go to world cons because i want a holiday in the city i am sure that winnipeg contains as as every host city does contains enough to entertain me around a world con that it'll be fine and um as does of course memphis as does chengdu but there's there's a huge benefit to having a tourist board who absolutely loves you and wants you to be there because if you are in a city that is a major tourist destination, you are the, a Worldcon is fairly small beans. But if you are the big thing that's going to happen in Winnipeg that year, um, it's going to be very cool. And they will look after us, I'm sure. No, I will say I used to go to Worldcons and I used to be like, oh, it's in a city I really want to go to. And then having now been to five or six Worldcons, I'm like, oh, I don't see the city. Like I see the restaurants in the city. So that if they've got good restaurants, that's nice. A Worldcon is an expensive proposition, and to do tourism on either side means you have to spend for a week of extra hotel, which is not a cheap proposition. And I have not yet achieved the uh, wealth privilege I need for that to be a situation in which I am in. I'm sure lots of Worldcon fans are um, in a situation for whom that makes sense, but like I've never, I've never felt like I can really. I think that's interesting because I am more of the mind that actually I will probably go to fewer Worldcons but do more tourism around them because that seems like a more kind of more economical and you know marginally more environmentally friendly option it depends what your aim i don't go i go to world cons to see lots of people i like and once all the people i've like i like have left the city staying there uh, we've had this we've litigated this in in previous episodes but i think i think it is clear that for me conventions are my focus in convention going is much more social than it is for you i think liz and so it doesn't surprise me that that i if I prioritise going to more world cons to get that and prioritising the social experience at those world cons, that doesn't seem out of character with like 
our attitudes to conventions is that i hope i'm not being super i'm really worried i'm being super harsh i don't intend to be super harsh do you think that's fair or do you think i'm off base i think i think it's a bit harsh but i think the issue is that i would even if i had unlimited wealth and holiday i would probably never go to every single world com oh no i definitely would yeah no 100 <laughs> percent. <laughs> yeah no i live like like an 18 hour flight from the us right now it is a big thing yeah I, I might actually i would go to a foreign convention each year um saving the planet not being a not being a pre- preventer for that so it wouldn't necessarily be work on but i do like work cons a lot if i had unlimited money and the ability to travel without causing climate change you know but but I have a point about shoulder days for world cons that is new and we haven't talked about before and I really want to talk about, which is that if you go for a couple of weeks with a world con in the middle or even more than a couple of weeks, you do actually get to have those social events around the world con with a fairly random set of people who are also doing this, plus the people who live in the city. And you get to do it in a much more relaxed way because I find world cons themselves to be quite frenetic. So, you know, for Helsinki, we flew up to the Arctic Circle after the Worldcon and we met numerous fans who we had not previously met who were also in Rovaniemi. And you could tell because they were the only tourists in the Arctic Circle in August. Because, <laughs> you know, it's not a sensible place to go, really. And, but, but it was really nice meeting fans in an environment that really wasn't connected to the Worldcon at all and was a little bit... I've talked a lot before about randomicity that one of the things i like about fandom is that you have random random conversations not just ones with people you know very well already it's a good point because one of my favorite conventions was shamrocon and that was like a similar thing where it was like all the same people but after the world con way chiller so i'm definitely i guess i guess i'm kind of not giving enough credit to how nice it can be to go to like associated events before and afterwards but again that's not I don't think I'm coming at that from the tourism angle. I mean, but then, you know, the I mean, but I think part of the other thing is that although I love traveling, I also quite like my house and like my creature comforts. So being away for longer, I find more disruptive. But maybe that, I don't know. I don't know. There's probably a lot of different. It might be this is quite complicated and like we all have slightly different relationships with it. Hmm. Yeah, which is why we do a podcast. And normally we can talk to each other during the podcast rather than monologuing in three separate places. Well, that's not. Let's not get carried away. Uh, for the listener who is wondering why we might be more monologuing than usual, my internet is not happy with me today. Uh, and I don't know why. I don't know why I did to offend the internet gods. Something that we forgot to say when we were reading Jonathan's lock is that um, when Kevin made his point about the Wuspers Constitution and the requirements uh, it has for bid deadlines he was clearly doing so because he knew about the winnipeg bid because he is the wuspers advisor to the winnipeg bid and he is on their webpage. but he didn't mention that and i think it would have changed the conversation quite a lot if he had just said here is all the information i have here is what i think here is what has led me to say it and and here is why it's important and then we could have had an, a conversation with all of the information um which would have been more informed And I kind of appreciate that he has stated this as a constitutional problem because um, there is there is an argument that it's important to treat this as a constitutional problem rather than as a but there is this bid that needs to file because um, 
you know, it is an important point even if there isn't a bid. But I will say in reaction to that, it doesn't look a whole like Kevin decided that this was a problem he wanted to highlight until there was a reason that it needed highlighting. And so I kind of think that's a little bit disingenuous on his part to be like, I expect everyone else to consider this in isolation from the principle of the thing, but the reason I'm bringing it up is not for those reasons. Um, And I think, you know, again, just less secrecy. Just tell people what you're saying and why you're saying it, and then everyone can chat, and it's just so much easier. I think you're right that they could have been more open because, let's face it, the question of, like, when the site selection deadline and what the Whispers Constitution says is pretty inside baseball for Worldcon fans. And... I find it hard to believe that the Winnipeg bid has been so stealthy that a bunch of people didn't already know about it anyway. So to be honest, a lot of people discussing this probably were also aware of the subtext. And then there'd be a bunch of people like us who were sort of just outside those circles who were not aware of the subtext. And yeah, then I'm just like, yeah, you may as well say, look, I know there's another bid in the works and they, they would like to bid for it. Um, and they'd like to be officially on the bid rather than kind of doing this. Here is my hypothetical question. And two weeks later, it will be revealed that it was not very hypothetical. I want to make the point that I made to John when he raised this in conversation, which is that Winnipeg was accepted because it was known con runners doing it and they had done all the things. But it is not obvious to me that a bid that did not have those qualities would have been um, given the discretion of Discon and things like that should not be discretion of Discon. They should be. Yes. You know, there should be, (laughs) there should be a procedure and rules. And there were. So I am kind of on Kevin's side a bit. No, and I think you're right. I think if I was Kevin, I would have said, here is a thing. There are two reasons this is important. One is the principle and the fact that we can't be seen to allow our mates to file past the deadline uh, when we might not allow people who are not known to us to do the same. But secondly, there is this bid, so there is also a practical component to this problem. Because then you can have the discussion of, like, there's a principle, there's a practical reason. It's important that we don't make the decision based purely on the practical reason, because that would be potentially it would potentially be gatekeeping in a way um so, so but I, I do take the point and i think that is probably what i think that was probably the reason kevin did it in this order i'm just skeptical that that was the best way to do it from the perspective of the wider conversation uh, especially when you do a podcast that comes out every two weeks and by the time the episode dropped winnipeg had announced by the time we recorded they hadn't very unhelpful if everyone could just make sure that they make big news announcements in line with octothorpe recording schedules that would be that would be good. Yeah, I think we should put a change to that effect in the Wusfus Constitution. John, I think you could solve this problem if you just edited Octothorpe overnight and released it the next day. Then we would never be scooped. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's been a good run. 31 episodes, um, five episodes past the year. I think we're about to come up on the second year of billing. So it's a good time to decide to stop anyway. Uh, it was lovely, uh, lovely podcasting with you both. <laughs> In other news. Oh, Alison wants to say a thing. I think Winnipeg was being kept quite close to its chest. I think there there were probably more people in the know than we know, but but plenty of people were not, were surprised by it. And it's clear that that was partly because they wanted to not announce it, not let anyone know it was happening until it was a fully formed, properly filed with all its bits together bid. And... We've talked before on this podcast about how 
the benefits, the virtues of surprise are not perhaps as great as the people who are pulling the surprise together think they are. Um, and I think this may be one of those cases as well, that, that surprise, there's a new bid. Well, yeah. What, what, what did you get out of that, Montreal? I don't think you got anything out of that. I mean, they, they certainly didn't get you knowing what their host city was. So that, that is an important point. <laughs> and get Montreal. What did you get out of that, Winnipeg? Um. I actually recorded the pickup for you. You didn't need to just... It was just a simple slip of the tongue. You don't need to put in everything I say, no matter how stupid. <laughs> that's going in the episode. Oh, but that that's like at least 50% of my enjoyment of the podcast. Alison so. says stupid things because she's old. Her her disability and age are not reflect are not appreciated by her younger co-hosts. Oh, it's not. I also sometimes flub my lines. Uh uh listeners, it tells me to say say that in the script. You'll be happy to know. I've got a good segue. Can I do a good segue? Oh yes, do a do, do please, yes. Speaking of conventions where we fail to run them very stealthily at all before we announce them, we're doing punctuation too. Yay! Yes, so if you are thinking, surely they already announced punctuation too, y- yeah, we're really bad at secrets, listeners. Um, but you can join today for zero, five, or ten pounds. We don't mind which. And we actually do have an official line on this, which is that punctuation two costs a fiver. And if that's a problem for you, then pay us nothing and you can join. And if you'd like to give us more support, um, pay us a tenner. That's all great. And all these memberships are exactly the same. Yes. Um, to the point where obviously in the uh, obviously in the conreg.org um, CSV, it does tell us um, how much you paid. But in the database we're actually looking at, it doesn't. So it really is. Yeah, the, the treasury... The Treasury knows because we have to make yep. the numbers add up, but otherwise it's nobody knows. Yeah, so we're doing punctuation too. Hey. Hey. We've already talked about it a little bit, um, but we're excited. We currently have, drum roll please, 81 members. Punctuation 1 had 200 members, um, so we're almost halfway to our previous um, total. We have uh, 62 people in the UK, four in Ireland, four in Australia, three in the USA, two in the Netherlands, one in Germany, sorry, two in Germany, one in Thailand, one in Poland, one in Canada, and one in Sweden. Uh, That adds up to 81 listeners. So we've made some changes this time. Uh, You can pay without subscribing to a WordPress website uh, for some reason. So that's good. There's a Discord. We have launched a non-binding consultative referendum. So if you have thoughts on what platforms we use to get our program content to your eyes and ears, please fill that in because we are keen to understand what people like and what people don't like. About two options that we are mulling over for our program delivery method. And we're also keen to speak to people who are people who use subtitling uh, because we would like to try and implement some subtitling if we have the budget and we'd be keen to understand how people use subtitling and what they would find useful and also please fill in if you'd like to volunteer uh, fill in the volunteering form Uh, I will put links to all of these things in the show notes the volunteering form is also a good way to tell us about program items you would like to see even if you would not necessarily like to be on those items so please come and tell us what you would like to see and we will do our best to come up with uh, an entertaining program full of things you want to see. Yay! 
We've already got one program item. No, two program items. Are they the opening ceremony and the closing ceremony, John? We've already got... And the beer tasting. Seven <laughs> program items in place. Yes, lots of program So items. get your program ideas. Have you and... included the fan funds auction in that? Oh no, eight program ideas already in place. Look, all I'm saying is get your program items in now because we are we are programmed to the gills, people. Like for a convention that doesn't really have a program list yet, we have we have come up with a lot of ideas. Um most of them it should be admitted by virtue of looking at the punctuation one program and saying, Yeah, we could do that again. Yeah, no, join. It's good, it's gonna be good. Um yeah, you're very encouraged. Um Yes, tell all your friends. Yes, definitely. Um, especially tell your friends who do interesting things and would like to come and do them at punctuation because that would be cool. I think we would like to maintain roughly the same programme balance we had at punctuation one, which is we had some serious and interesting and thoughtful discussions and talks and also some fun stuff and some things that are just of general interest to fans. And also we're quite happy to have... Uh, interactive uh, items and workshops and ways of getting people engaged over Zoom or over other platforms. So basically anything along any of those lines that you would be interested in, put them in our form. Otherwise, I'll have to come up with them all and then the programme will be of interest entirely to me. So yeah, you've got an incentive. I am particularly interested. I'm hoping the convention will be a little bit bigger this time, though we we are arguing in the committee about exactly how large that might be. But if it's bigger, we may need slightly more programme. So that's a thing. And I would like to have more things that involve people getting outside into the fresh air as we will be in June. And you might not want to be stuck in your house all weekend. So if you think about th- ways in which people can engage online whilst also engaging with their local community, that would be a good idea as well. Mm-hmm. Sitting on video all the time is not necessarily the best thing for our well-being. And that's why we record Octthorpe entirely in the garden. Speaking as somebody who's just spent 23 hours a day on video for a year. There is a Facebook group called Joff. Uh, Joff is a place for com runners to go, which is less cliquey than Smoff. And so to really emphasise that, they gave it a similarly impenetrable acronym that doesn't make any sense unless you know the in-joke. Uh, it stands for Journeyman of Fandom, and that comes from uh, Masquerade, where the Journeyman category is one step below the Master category. And so Smoff becomes Joff, Secret Master of Fandom, to Journeyman of Fandom. Hurrah! Inclusivity. Um, it's a Facebook group. Uh, it's It's basically the smoffs list but on facebook instead of on email and perhaps a little bit more positive actually perhaps a lot more positive uh perhaps a great deal more positive um and it's a really good place to have discussions it's it is a it's much broader group i think it's probably the world's largest con running group that is focused on fan run conventions and it includes enormous numbers of different sorts of conventions so you'll find people who are running small anime conventions in pig nebraska on joff i think you'll find it's 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 pronounced pig fook liz listeners liz if anyone came to octopop live and saw liz's reaction to my pun that i laugh very hard at imagine liz has made that face and then you have you have liz I think it's a bit rude about Nebraska, but to be fair, I've never been to Nebraska, so <laughs> I'm sure Nebraska's lovely. I've, I would love to go. Nebraskan listeners, please invite us to your homes once we're all vac- vaccinated. 
no but in in all seriousness um joff is a, a fantastic community and is a fantastic place to go if you're interested at all in con running and is a super friendly bunch of people and Alison has been reading it yeah it's a super friendly bunch of people as a rule but that doesn't mean that every single one of them is super friendly and it has recently been it has had a pair of discussions one is um what what is wrong with the Worldcom, which is such a large topic that you could podcast about it every fortnight for a year and not still not scratch the surface of things that you can say. And the other one of which is tell us all the great things about Worldcon. And then there are some kind of subthreads about what should Worldcons and other large conventions be doing to improve their inclusivity. And they have just explored a vast number of things. But one of the things that has happened in that is that some people say traditional fans are not welcoming enough of new fans and their their needs and the traditional fans some of them go but we are welcoming look at all this stuff we do and don't necessarily bridge the gap and some of the other ones go oh no really you can't be a proper fan unless you've read the enchanted duplicator here i'll link to it and this is a okay i may be exaggerated slightly but not very much and I wanted to talk about the business meeting, which is that the one of the ways in which Worldcons are incredibly uninclusive is that they say, ah, if you really want to change the way things are done, the solution is to spend many months immersing yourself in Wusfus Minutiae and then spend your Worldcon, which you've travelled halfway around the world to attend and it's all of your holiday money for three years. Um, I'm just talking about myself. For other people, it might be all of their holiday money for five years or all of their holiday money for six months. You know, people vary. But you've spent a very considerable outlay of time and energy to get to. You want to spend that weekend in a business meeting. And that seems like an unreasonable ask to me. And that is one of the reasons why Wusfus changes much more slowly than the Worldcon in general. And here is my small suggestion which is that we take the Wusfus business meeting out of the Worldcon and we put it on a different weekend and we put it online and we open it up to everyone who is a supporting member of the current or future seated Worldcons or the immediate past previous Worldcon and um, I don't want to do this myself so I'd like some Wusfus nerds to agree with me please (laughs) (laughs) but I wanted to say it in Octothorpe so that Wusfus nerds might start thinking about this yeah, so I have thoughts about the Wusfus Business Meeting. Here are my thoughts. I appreciate that there are a lot of people. Um, I don't. I don't know. It's. I don't think it's a majority of the membership of any given Worldcon, but there is definitely a lot of people for whom the Wusfus Business Meeting is a highlight of their Worldcon, and they really enjoy going to the business meeting. And um, and I'm aware that the things I'm about to say might make the Worldcon worse for those people. Because um, if you separate the business meeting from the Worldcon and the business meeting is one of your favourite parts of the Worldcon, you're going to have a worse Worldcon. And that's hard. And and I'm aware, and I don't, I'm aware of that. I say all of this being aware that this is one of the side effects of my proposal. Having said that, I think I would argue that effective and fair governance of Wusfus is more important than the enjoyment of those people at the business meeting at Worldcon. I think if the way the business meeting is structured at the moment disenfranchises people who do not find the business meeting enjoyable, that is a problem. And I think if it disenfranchises people who have 
spent a higher percentage of their yearly holiday budget on going to Worldcon, say the five-year people instead of the six-months people, I think those people are less likely to want to spend that time at the business meeting. And so I think it inadvertently also hugely privileges the wealthy to involvement in the governance of Worldcon, which I feel is a huge problem. And so I completely agree with what Alison has just said. I feel quite strongly that the business meeting should not be at the Worldcon. And I think that it made a lot of sense in a world where we couldn't do this stuff online, but now we can. And I feel like we can, uh, we can, I think, assume that anyone who can afford to go to a Worldcon can also afford to have internet for one weekend a year. And maybe that's unfair and privileged of me, but I, I think that's a reasonable perspective. If it's not, please write in. As someone who can only attend the Worldcon occasionally, I've been in fandom since 1984, 1983, so that's that's more years than I care to think about. And Dublin was my 10th Worldcon, so I think one year in three is not a bad representation of that. The the Woosworth Business Meeting has gone to some length to get its self put on to get itself available online to view when it's a physical event and I do watch it religiously when I don't go to the Worldcon but I can't what I can't get to it when I am at the Worldcon because I'm at the Worldcon so I would I think this is a change that's whose time has come my thoughts on the Worldcon business meeting I have done on several podcasts in the past and I'm not going to repeat them because that will also bore the pants off people who are uh, listening to our back catalogue right now. But I would say two things. One is that I think uh, something that's becoming evident from a lot of sort of meetings and conferences I go to is that sometimes having people kind of ask questions by text chat during remote meetings actually works really well because you can see who is also going to make the same point as you and you can upvote them or you can agree with them and it it seems to work really nicely basically for having a bit of discussion going on and I wonder if there are opportunities for things like that which could be seized at this sort of virtual business meeting um, that we are not at the moment. Um, I, I realize that this is basically impossible to do well. I assume it is impossible to do under Robert's Rules of Order. I don't know because every time I think about looking at Robert's Rules of Order, uh, my eyes glaze over and I fall asleep. I also did have a thought that maybe we should try using Robert's Rules of Order on the podcast in order that we all get a word in edgeways. Maybe that would would improve us. I think, to be fair, like if me and Alison just did some breathing exercises (laughs) beforehand, that might also help... uh... Maybe that. Certainly from my perspective. I feel if you feel that Robert's rules of order is being used at the Wusfus business meeting to allow the <laughs> quieter and less privileged to get a word in edgeways, you are very wrong about that. That was almost entirely a joke. I also do not feel that I am the quiet and underprivileged one on this podcast. I feel I'm more of the long-suffering one on this podcast. That's my role. You can cut that out if you like. Oh, hang on. I'm not going to. I'm going to put it in... <laughs> I, I didn't actually include the bit about I, th- I, I think Robert's Rules of Order does not help. There are people in Wusfus whose job it is to explain how Wusfus works to people who are not used to Wusfus. And they are seen as people who do a good job of um, bringing people into Wusfus and making it accessible. But I would argue that if you are a group of people that has instituted a method for discussion which is so impenetrable it needs a guide, then volunteering to be that guide does not mean you're part of the solution it's a bit like if i set 
fire to Alison and then offered to put her out, I would still be the person that set fire to Alison. And me offering to put her out again would not make me the good guy. I I may disagree with you here because I think it is it is a town meeting democracy and if you're going to do it that way you probably do need a set of rules of order to do it with and I am not convinced that switching switching sets would necessarily solve the problem so I mean I I do think it's, they are more bureaucratic than they need to be anyway, and it does need to be much easier for people. But I think actually making it a much making it over a weekend so there was time for people to be, have much more elaborate discussions on things and then have a main have plenaries that bring things back to plenary, I think would just make it much better. It would be a much better event and people and it would be very nerdy, but you could then just come along because you knew that the particular thing you're interested in would be being talked about at three o'clock on Friday or whatever, and it would just be so much better. Octothorpe, the, the podcast where we nerd out about whispers for 25 minutes while everyone cries. It is a very world conny podcast, isn't it? It wasn't going to be, and then it was. Um, but, you know, these things happen. So I'm just going to say, Mark Slater said, everyone should stop what they're doing and watch The Mitchells versus The Machines, which is a an animated movie about a family who saved the world from robots. And um, and we watched it last night, and it's pretty good. So it will amuse you for one hour and 54 minutes. And that is my Oxthorpe recommendation for popular culture for you to do in the next week. I think everyone should, I should think we should institute this. What should we do? What should we do next week to amuse ourselves? Liz and John. What should, I re- what should our listeners do to amuse themselves for two hours or less? Read a book. Uh, you should read Detransition Baby by Tori Peters, um, which is one of the, I think, the Women's Prize nominees this year. And it's very good. It's sort of a uh, a comedy of manners. Uh, and now I'm, I'm on the spot. Now I don't have to describe it. Anyway, you should go and read. I'll just leave it at that. You should go and read Detransition Baby by Tori Peters. And I'll put a link in the show notes because I really enjoyed it. I just finished reading A Wizard's Guide to Defensive Baking by T. King Fisher, which is the pen name of Ursula Vernon. It is on the Hugo ballot. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It might take slightly more than two hours uh, to read. I don't know how long it took me me to read, uh, but I really enjoyed it. So that would be my recommendation for the week. Oh, and Taskmaster. If you haven't watched Taskmaster, go and watch Taskmaster. All of it now. You can do that in under a week, I think. You've got two weeks till the next one. You've got two weeks to watch all of Taskmaster. Yeah, go for it. That was the Octothorpe podcast, and it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. memphis's logo which i'm particular which i think is actually a pretty good logo now i've seen it it's really good and and does not suffer from the does not suffer from the rocket ship phallic rocket ship issue that so many work on logos no true um but i thought when you were talking about the um how good glasgow in 2024's branding is you might have linked to the um star wars day version of the glasgow 2024 logo because that's really cool i'm not sure i saw that chain in 2023 also have a funky panda logo as of course they would Mm -mm. 
if someone could post if someone could link to the star wars glasgow logo that would also be very good because i was like i said i don't think i've seen it okay i've put a link to twitter that's got the amazing glasgow star wars day logo in it so you could look at it now and go oh that's amazing yeah so glasgow very good branding sarah felix um sarah felix is um i I don't know i I am i should disclaim that the fact that i am working on the um glasgow 2024 bid but the but sarah felix's fan art is amazing and she is also a finalist in um fan artist hugo and uh, as far as i'm concerned her work is really exemplifies what i think fan art should be like which is that it is it surrounds and is of the fan activity that it is being done for it surrounds us and penetrates us it binds the fan act together could probably talk about this we should talk about fan art and what fan art is some other time but um i think it's a very good logo and i think her other work for glasgow has been very good it is my second favorite sarah felix logo after after the lulzine logo but i am biased oh did she do the lulzine logo yeah you are very biased she did i am very biased i can't even remember what the lulzine logo is like now i feel very guilty Imagine a beautiful piece of Sarah Felix art with the word Lulzine written on it. <laughs> I mean, when you have beautiful art, <laughs> I sort of feel like less is more, in a way, with stuff that you put on top of the... Be- didn't, didn't I do a logo for you once, John? Yeah, yep, retweet. For a fanzine you never actually did? <laughs> no, I did it, just not... Basically, it was in the halcyon days where Twitter was still something you could read all of. Uh, which, as it turns out, is less true these days. Um, oh, yeah. Or would want to read all of. Yeah, anyway. The theme music for this episode was Fanfare for Space by Kevin MacLeod at Incompetech.com, used under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. This podcast will end at the beep. Beep.